All right. It's another digital side hug podcast, and I'm so excited because in a few minutes, uh, you're going to hear, you're going to meet Bethany Haley Williams and hear about Exile International and what God is doing through Bethany and her husband, Matthew, and you're going to fall in love with these guys and their ministry. Um, real quick first, I think last week, um, I forgot to mention the date of the summit, the Youth Cartel Summit Conference. That is uh, November 6th and 7th, so it's early in November. Uh, you want to go to youthcartel.com to check it out. Becky, are you going to be going to that? Yes. My, in case you didn't hear that, she said yes. So if you come to the Youth Cartels uh, Summit, you get to meet Becky Rubio. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. She's, we're I'm sipping coffee. It's, uh, it's, it's a beautiful morning in Middle Tennessee, and Becky wishes she could say more on this on this little announcement but becky we don't have time uh also don't forget about ncym the early bird registration deadline is bearing down on you uh october the 12th uh is the early bird registration deadline that's ncym.org becky will you be driving with me to colorado springs she it's looking like a maybe not so while i can't promise you that you'll see becky at ncym I can promise you, you will be enjoying some precious little house on the prairie moments, uh, which hopefully you're looking forward to that. All right. So many thanks to the nobility for this awesome background announcement music and good luck as you record your new album, Nobility. We love you. Uh, who's ready for Bethany Haley Williams? Becky, are you? I'm ready. You guys are going to love this. All right, let's do it. Used to hearing you more Rubio, huh? Uh, yeah, yes, Matthew. People call me Rubio, and we we are now live on the digital side hug. Who's excited? Woo! <laughs> I, this is this is amazing. We've got we've got Bethany Haley Williams actually sitting in a chair in my office, live in the flesh, and her husband Matthew Williams across the world. Matthew, tell us where you are right now. Hey, JJ, this is Matthew. I'm in northern Uganda right now with one of our peace clubs, uh, having a great time with them. I just stepped away from email to do this podcast. I'm just glad I can, uh, can say hello. Uh, I really wish I could be there with y'all, but to be honest, I would much rather be here. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I think Bethany, a minute ago, Bethany was telling me the same thing, that she's she really, really wishes that she couldn't do this podcast right now. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure, especially with as many children that have been here asking, where is Mama Bethany? Where is Mama Bethany? <laughs> oh, it. my gosh, Beth. I've got many videos of um, the boys and girls in the Peace Club uh, greeting you. They want you to know that they're sending you their greetings, they miss you, and they appreciate um, you being a part of their lives. So. Thank you. Well, in a minute, Matthew, Am we're going to... Am I making gonna... her cry yet, David? Is yeah, she but... crying yet? I, her eyes are glazed, actually, Matthew. They definitely <laughs> okay, are. Okay, good, good. Um, 
in just a minute, Bethany is going to tell us more about exactly what the Peace Club is that you're that you're at now. And we know you don't always get a signal and you're in the middle of something. Thank you, Matthew, for calling in and letting us say hello to you. Um, you're, you're, this, if this is the last thing you get to say to youth ministers, uh, is there a blessing for youth workers that you would give? Wow. Um, Father God, enable them and empower them to glorify your name and enjoy you forever. Um, that is it. And go and share that with more. More children. I'm going to share that with you, God, and children here uh, and teenagers. And I hope that you guys are, are blessing many children there. So, yeah, that's my um, off the cuff blessing for you guys. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you so much. We love you and, and miss you okay. and continue to do good in Jesus' name. And and I, your wife may want to say goodbye. Thank you. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you for calling in. I'll talk to you later. Okay, love you, Beth. Okay, Bye. love you too. Bye. Okay, that is officially my favorite first few minutes of a podcast ever. That was we're gonna have to stop your Pandora music right there. Uh -oh. <laughs> okay, stopped that. it. All right, so we're we've started the digital side hug podcast. I just want to take one moment to to rewind, and in case because we obviously it may have been difficult for the listeners to hear what your husband Matthew was saying from Uganda, but it's awesome. I didn't know he was going to get to call in at all, and we sort of had to do that right then because we weren't sure we were going to get him any anymore. But he was obviously. Obviously taken off guard a little bit by sure. the request for a final blessing for right. youth workers. Yeah. But did you hear what he said? Did you hear what his prayer was for youth workers? To, I don't know. It was unbelievable. It was so perfect and beautiful. He said, he, he challenged us and blessed us to go or be and to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Mm -hmm. And he yeah. said, that's it. Yeah. And, you know, we as a youth worker, you know, this morning I was writing an email about the mission of our youth ministry and how what we want to do is, is partner with parents and teens in the process of developing mature disciples of Christ through, you know, worship, and community, and service. And, and, and it gets heavy, and you want to, you just, the, the, the task ahead is a big one, and it matters. And so, and, and to, to back up and remember that what we're doing is really just, you know, about God, to glorify God in our lives, not just in our ministries, but in our lives, and then to enjoy Him, our Father, forever. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's yeah. great. Yeah, That's he prays a, that. He prays that a lot. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. So we could, I mean, really, we could stop the podcast <laughs> now, and it would be awesome. Sure. I, we're obviously not going to do that. Um, so, okay, Bethany, tell us where more about where he was, and, and I guess I could say introduce us to you and to your husband, Matthew, um, by, by you know just telling us who you are and what you do and why you're so awesome that I want you to be on this podcast. <laughs> no, I don't, know. I don't know if I can do that. But um, so my husband and I run a ministry. It's called Exile International. And uh, the, the purpose of the organization or the purpose of the ministry is to provide art therapy and holistic rehabilitative care to former child soldiers and children who've been orphaned by war. And we're in Congo and Northern Uganda. Art therapy and rehabilitative care. Mm -hmm. So you you service or serve or love on or host um, former child soldiers and... Children orphaned by war. Okay. And it's, it's when we say holistic rehabilitative care, that means we provide anything that 
we in America would provide for our kids. So that's food, clothing, education. Um, medicine. Sure, medicine. In fact, we had one of our program graduates, she was a female, and um, she got engaged. This was two weeks ago. Wow. And um, they said she needs to have a wedding, and she doesn't have any parents. And so I thought, wow, I don't think we ever thought we'd be paying for a wedding whenever yeah. Exile was founded. And, and we did, and she got married, and it, it was a beautiful celebration. So included in holistic rehabilitative care is throwing weddings. I guess students. so, yeah. So we're with them until they launch. Yeah. Um, and these are kids who, you know, really thought they would die in captivity. Yeah. So uh, we've really committed just to walk beside of them and be their um, caregivers and walk them through healing. And our program, our 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 the core of our program provides trauma care and forgiveness, um, teaching, and conflict resolution, peace building skills, and leadership skills. So the vision is that. You have a child that, again, thought they would die in the bush, and they're a survivor of war. And our vision is that we bring that full circle so that they are leaders in their communities and they're changing their nations for, yeah. for God. And our programs are run by local leaders on the ground. Mm -hmm. um, so Matthew and I go back and forth a couple times a year. We're over there about three months out of the year. M Mama, Mama Bethany? <laughs> Mama Bethany. And Papa Matthew? Father Matthew. Father Matthew. Yeah, but really the, oh. the, the rock stars are, are the what, you know, the rock stars are the leaders on the ground who are with them yeah. every day. And this is in Uganda and the, the Congo. Congo. Mm -hmm. um, and Matthew was in Northern, so he's in the programs that we have in Lyra which is in northern Uganda. That's where he was calling us okay. from. Okay, and it's it's called Exile International, and someone can follow you on Twitter at Exile International? Mm -hmm. It's E-X-I-L-E-I-N-T-L. -E Easier just to search Exile yeah. International. And, uh, of course, that's I'm sure it's online. You could Google website. Sure, exileinternational.org. Um, and I'm and we're gonna we're gonna obviously hear sort of a, your story and ha and how this got started and more about what you do perhaps um, in a few minutes um, and and yours and Matthew's story and how how that intersected as well as you know this podcast is for youth ministers uh, primarily people who work in congregational youth work like I do. Um, and I wanted you on this podcast since you're not going to brag on yourself. I wanted you to be a part of this e even before I really learned your story and and the just your life story leading up to the work you're doing with Exile International, um, be, because of the the power of the therapy that you're doing there and the the way the love that you're showing is 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 changing history in the lives of the people uh, that you touch the children you know that otherwise would would have no one you know mm -hmm. reaching out to them um, and we'll talk about the art that they do that is hung up on the walls of our church and some of the pictures that I've gotten to see but then when I read your book and and the book is called the color of grace uh, and I guess it came out in the spring right mm -hmm, in March and we were friends and I knew you but I didn't I didn't know your story and as a youth pastor and a friend um, I, I was reading how you got, you know, kind of the backstory of this, and I just thought, oh man, you know, now I, I, I just want, now I want that to be a message, and I want, I want youth pastors to hear you talk about your life and and where you were and how, you know, 
you found yourself as a product of the church, you know, yeah. in a pretty in a pretty tough spot. And mm-hmm. and I want us to kind of hear that because we've got we've got young ladies that future Bethany Haley Williams is in our youth groups, and I think we need to minister with that in mind. So. Um, but before we do any of that, can we do a lightning round, get to know me? Yeah, sure. And I'm so excited about this because you did not know what the word apparate means. <laughs> I, I didn't. I didn't know. I, I think that's so great. So I, I sent Bethany uh, an email saying um, that I, here are a few questions that I might ask uh, just, just in case. You know, and, and I wasn't even necessarily going to ask these questions. Sometimes I'll send this email out, you know, and I and I ask none of those questions. Yeah. But on this particular email, I said, you know, for instance, I could ask the question, um, you know, you uh, you find that where did I put that piece of paper? Oh, it's right here. No, it's not. It's right here. Okay, you discover that you have the power to apparate. Where do you go first? <laughs> and you read you you read that and had to Google the word apparate. Yeah, I thought you were trying to say evaporate, and then you misspelled it, actually. (laughs) So you thought I was saying you discover you have the power to evaporate. Yeah. Oh, that's great. So obviously you haven't read Harry Potter. Obviously I haven't. I don't think I've even watched it. And the truth is, uh, there's a part of me that that is glad about that. I mean, you've got bigger and better things to do. (laughs) You know, when I started reading Harry Potter, there was a girl named Annalise who loved the Harry Potter books. So she literally, when she found out this was at my current job, it was probably 2005 or four. Uh, she was maybe a senior or junior at the time. She found out I hadn't read any of the books. And she brought me a stack of books. I think it was like the first five because maybe six hadn't oh, come out wow. yet or whatever. Or I think she was reading six at the time. Somebody could, somebody probably knows exactly when all these books came out. And so I had an excuse to read these Harry Potter books you know, because the students in my ministry were all reading them and, and, and Annalise was, you know, she was dying for me to catch up on the story that was touching her life mm-hmm. in such a powerful way. Yeah. The kids of the Democratic Republic of Congo are not reading Harry Potter. Yeah, they're not reading Harry Potter. So it's, it's kind of awesome that you didn't know what Apparate was. And somewhere, David Skidmore is already making fun of this lightning round. Oh, get to know absolutely. Me. Because we totally. haven't even gotten to the first question. Okay, so now you Googled it so you know what Apparate means. You discover you have the power to apparate. Where do you go first? And I'm not going to let you choose Uganda where you're your not, husband is. No. Because that was my yeah, first. That, no, that's cheating. Of course that's not. That's my no, first thing. You can't visit a family member. Okay. So where do you go? Um, I go to India. India? Yeah. I've always wanted... Mother Teresa is such a mentor to me, even though she's... You know, I've never really been around her, but... Just her writings and her writings have really meant she's mentored me through her writings and through her life. Um, and I've always wanted to go and visit Calcutta. So, yeah, that would be where I would go. That's so awesome. I was expecting something like Hawaii or Malibu, <laughs> and, and you say India. You're so awesome. Okay. Uh, favorite Chronicle of Narnia? Uh, I haven't read them. You- Beth, it's a timeout. <laughs> now, Bethany, you had an excuse for Harry Potter. I know. I know. <laughs> you haven't read any of them? No, I haven't. Oh, wow. I'm really bad about this fiction. Is incredible. I know. I don't read. I don't read fiction that much. <laughs> well, then my next question is going to be really, really ridiculous. Which is your favorite chronicle of Riddick? 
Yeah, that's ridiculous too. <laughs> Sorry, I'm batting zero here. That was, but I knew that you weren't going to have seen any of those. <laughs> I was quite certain that in 2004 so you were too busy sorry. to watch, you know, the, the Chronicles of Riddick, or in 2000 to watch Pitch Black, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So we were all going to have a good laugh at that one, but it turns out we have had a laugh at every question so far. All right, let's do something that that doesn't require you to have seen anything in, in the. Let's require something that does not <laughs> does not require you to watch or read any fiction. Surely everyone knows what socks are. Estimate the number of days in a year that you wear socks. Oh, that's good. So, because I noticed you're not wearing them today. No, I love to go barefoot. So, I I will only wear socks if I'm wearing boots. And sometimes okay. I don't even wear socks when I'm wearing boots. I don't really like things to touch my feet. So, so I would say on average, on average, a couple months out of the year. So, so third, sixty days. Maybe sixty. Ish. Yeah, and I rewear them a lot. I don't wash them after it, I wear them very yeah. often. Yeah. Well, somebody that's going to be walking barefoot all the time wouldn't be concerned about something like washing socks. Yeah, you had, that's <laughs> a good just, question. This is so great. Okay, have you ever ridden a roller coaster? Yes, I have. Do you have a favorite <laughs> roller coaster? You know, um. You know what I think about when I think about a roller coaster? This is really not a roller coaster, but did you go to Opryland? Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, before, you remember, it, before it was, before it was no longer. Mall. Yeah. Um, do you remember the log ride? Yes, I, I do. I loved that. Oh, yeah. So, do you remember the log ride? Like, you go down, you cross, you go around this corner, and you're in this big kind of. You're not talking about Grizzly log. River Rampage. Oh, that's it. Yeah, so, I the one so. where you're in the big circle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and you turn around, and yes. you turn around, and then you, and you get go shot down that with, hill. Yes. Okay. And oh, then water yeah. comes in. Yeah. That was a like, just a great ride. I loved that favorite? one. That was my favorite one. Okay, good. You're soaked in the end. All right. So, uh, Morris Gregwire from, from Asking Can Be Fun asks this question when have you had your name chanted by a group of people can you can you tell us the story surely this has happened okay so my name hasn't necessarily been chanted but Matthew and I actually got married for a second time in Congo in the spring you had two wedding ceremonies we two weddings. oh that's great so one we got married August 9th last year <clears throat> and um I surprised him by asking the kids in Congo at the center, you know, that yeah. we're in, um, to write a letter of blessing at the wedding because they couldn't be there. Yeah. So they wrote a letting a, a letter. We read it at the wedding. Everyone was crying. It was the most it was the sweetest thing. Um, but at the end, they said, "But we have one question. Can we have a celebration whenever you come to see us?" Oh. So we're thinking, "Yeah, we'll have a celebration." Um, we were really excited. I kind of brought a nice dress, um, but short story, they had a surprise wedding for us. So I'm wearing this, they brought me this wedding dress that was two sizes too big <laughs> in a tiara. And then Matthew had this jacket that was two sizes too small for him. I have to see pictures of this <laughs> Oh, someday. you do have to see pictures. Oh. Why wasn't that in the lobby of our, uh, of our church It needed last to be, <laughs> yeah. So we didn't really know what was going on. Well, we, we get to the church and there are 400 people there, some of which we do not know. And the kids are there. So our bridesmaids and groomsmen yeah. were kids in the program or graduates of the program. Yeah. So we come into the church and the, the younger kids had written songs uh -huh. and the older kids had written songs. They're of course all in Swahili, which we know a little of. Yeah. 
But basically it was blah, 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 Bethany, Matthew, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Bethany, Matthew, blah, 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 blah. But they're sa- basically they're saying you were once two and now you've become one. Oh, my um, goodness. But over and over and over again, we could just hear our names, although we didn't quite understand what the songs <laughs> meant. And they were dancing, of course. That is, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it was I, yeah, amazing. That, that's, I'm going to allow that to count for sure. Okay, thank you. Uh, as a chant. Um, the last question I'll ask is there's a button in front of you. <clears throat> Excuse me. There's a button in front of you. If you press it, you are only allowed to eat processed meats. No other kind of meat other than processed meats, like, like you know, uh, uh, um, Vienna sausages, you know. Um, well, I guess any sausage is processed probably. Um, spam, you know, stuff like that. And you have to eat a serving of it at every meal. That's if you push the button. If you do not push the button, you may only for the rest of your life eat food that has been through a blender. Oh. So it's so you're you're eating, you know, protein shakes and yeah. and smoothies and nothing else for the rest of your life. I'm you, all about you, the you, second second option. Okay, so you don't press the button and you go with smoothies for the rest I of your life. I could live off of smoothies. Okay. I, really? I love them. Yeah. And you must not have a deep love for I'm not a foodie. For processed meats. <laughs> no. At all. No, you Well it's not the only I thing wish, you could eat. You could eat other things too. You right. Know, yeah. Foods, no. I wish they could have seen my face when you said Spam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was gross. It was pretty gross. You had a heart. You were scared of me. Like this conversation <laughs> took a dark turn. Yeah. When I said the word spam. Yeah, I'm a smoothie girl. I love them. <laughs> it was almost like you were hoping I wouldn't say it. Don't say spam. Please. Don't say it. That's so great. Okay, so you, in your book, you tell us your story, and and we all know because mm-hmm. earlier in the podcast you've told us that what you do for your life, you're living. And you, you, sort of your job and your mission as a person, and you and Matthew do this together is to work with war-torn communities and mm-hmm. and children, you know, child survivors of of you know abduction, um, and but this all got to start in your own life. Could you just go back and tell us how this began for you? Sure. Um. As a kid, my dad was preacher, small country church, and I had this weird love for Africa even... Kentucky, right? You grew Kentucky, up in Kentucky? Yeah. Had this weird love for Africa even when I was a little girl. I would watch Save the Children commercials. My parents would have to come up and turn the channel because yeah. I would just watch it all the time. The missionaries would come, and I'd be so excited that the missionaries were coming, and I would want to hear all of their stories. Um, so I... So you know, knew that that would be a part of my life. Um, I went on my first trip to Africa when I was 18, as soon as I could go. And then I came back and I had one month before going back to school for my yeah. sophomore year. And I said, can I go to Haiti? In so that you were 18, month? had finished your first year of college. Yeah. And went on a mission trip with a church, with a organization? With um, the college that I attended, Freed Hardeman. Okay. <clears throat> um, so that kind of started my love. Um, and then graduated, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> graduated from college um, and got married the month after I graduated. And um, I was 21, had these, you know, expectations of a perfect marriage, and um, we were both leaders kind of in our community, and marriage was just nothing like I thought it would be. So it ended up being 
10 years of really praying for God to save my marriage. And in the process of all of that, we really hid behind these masks of we had it all together and people came to us for mm -hmm. questions and, um, but we didn't have it all together at all. We were just like, we were broken on the inside. Um, so it ended up, um, the end result of all of that was a lot of broken decisions made out of broken places, um, a lot of hiding, kind of um, in a mild sense, some addictions. And um, the marriage ended in a divorce and um, fell from some, some pedestals and that was really hard. Uh, say more about that. Who, who had you on a pedestal? <laughs> well, at the, point, at the point where the divorce happened, we were part of the leaders of our um, young marrieds group. Okay. So, so at, at your church? At our church. Um, so it blindsided <clears throat> everyone because we had you know, put on kind of this facade that we had it all together. For 10 years. For 10 years. And you had been at that church for 10 years probably? but we had, No. Well, no. Well, I think we'd probably been at that church for three years or so. But for three years you had looked like something that you weren't. Not at all. Yeah. Um, Was it one of those deals where everybody that knew you heard you're getting a divorce? Or, or did they hear... There's trouble and there was a buildup. It was what, public. What I mean is, did it come out of nowhere or, or was there oh, trouble I see. first? Because sometimes I'll hear that that things aren't good and I'm praying for months. And sometimes it's like, it's already o over? Like, it, they, they're getting it. So I didn't know anything? You know, I, I'm, I, yeah, yeah, good question. That's exactly what it was like. I think it, it was out of nowhere for most people. Yeah. Definitely wasn't out of nowhere for us. Sure. Um, but yeah, it was out of nowhere for most people. And so... Um, you know, I think at that point I really realized when you put people on a pedestal rather than God on a pedestal, and you, you know, people, people will make, man will make man decisions, and so you can't trust a man because we're fallible. But if you put your total trust in God, you know that's not yeah. going to disappoint you. Um, but for us, um, yeah, I mean, it broke us a really severely I think for me personally it broke me severely because I just thought you know there's nowhere I feel like I had always felt like God could really use my life for good um, and was a spiritual leader in a lot of ways and I just thought I've, I've messed up so bad that God can never ever use me again yeah and that was really hard so that led me down this road of um, pretty severe depression and um, after the divorce, couldn't forgive myself for decisions that I'd made and became suicidal, really from the point of my life is over and I don't know where to go from here. So that, so that led me down a road. Um, it became so severe that I didn't have a choice except to reach out for help. I want to back up to the years of not reaching out for help. You, you spent 10 years in a marriage and you were reaching out to God for help daily, praying for Him to save your marriage. And you talk in the book about how this, th this was your prayer and it didn't happen. You know, the prayers right. for a saved marriage did not come true. Um, but, but you, you, know, you weren't reaching out to others. You weren't opening your, your lives, you, the two of you, to others. There was, uh, so, you know, you talk about shame. Uh, mm -hmm. And the role that that played, um, could could you just could you just reflect on 
the that reality in your life and and the the barriers to an earlier healing from this because of the the hiddenness and the shame and the shame that keeps you from sharing sure yeah i don't think that i even had the skills to reach out i didn't even know how to do that i remember picking up the phone at one time wanting to call someone to say i'm not doing well and literally not knowing what to do because i was the one people always came to um and because of the decisions that i'd made in the marriage i was so full of shame i just wanted to hide because um again i was the one that people looked up to i was the one that people came to so to think that i had sinned so severely um i didn't know how to process that and the shame really just became kind of a self-hatred almost um even even though surely were you were you able to process there are people that would love me anyway i just can't tell them and watch the pain of that or were you not sure anyone would love you anyway? Yeah, I don't know that I was. I think maybe in the back of my mind, cognitively I thought that they could, but... You in know, your heart. In, in, yeah, or mm. may, but I don't, I think I had to get over, can God love me? Okay. Um, and I think I, I, for me, I had to redefine what forgiving yourself looks like. Because I don't, that term, what I, for me, what I had to realize is that really forgiving yourself is accepting God's grace. It's saying, yeah. I absolutely don't deserve this, um, but I'm going to accept it because it is a gift. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of what started me on the road of being able to live in His grace and really embrace the fact that I am a broken person. I was a broken person. I remember thinking constantly, I'm damaged goods. I'm damaged goods. And there was one day that I realized you really you really are. Like I embraced the fact that I was damaged, but I'm still goods because yeah. because of Jesus, because he loves me unconditionally. <clears throat> and it was a slow road, but I also kind of have this stubborn fight in me and I didn't want to give up and I didn't want to say the enemy is going to win and I'm going to be bound in this kind of cage of shame for the rest of my yeah. life. So there was a fight to try to get better. And I hear all this as a youth group leader who hopes that the future, you know, OCYG graduate who finds herself or himself in a similar situation hopes to get a call, you know, Mm. much sooner to say things are not going the way everybody thinks they are. And I, and I need to tell somebody and I, and I'm, I'm hoping you know that, that somebody will will understand or even love me even though they don't understand et cetera et cetera et cetera mm-hmm. so I'm, I wonder if without thinking through or and I, and I don't I, I really don't want um, to make this personal so in other words maybe you had a youth director and and, and I don't want this question to be about him or, or her uh, you had a church certainly you had a pre- you, know, you mm-hmm. grew up in a preacher's home so I don't want to make this about the specific people at your church but but the system, of church. Church just seems to do something to young people inadvertently, sometimes accidentally, that causes them to to think this is this, you know, I didn't measure up and and I can't let anybody know that. 
Mm-hmm. And and so I wonder, do, could you reflect on, or is is that right? Like in your case, do you look back at the at the story of church and God's people, and you said you didn't know how to reach out? Is that it? it is there some way that that could have been modeled in your life that wasn't, or that do you see what I'm getting sure, at? Sure. Yeah. And I think that um, I think we maybe don't talk enough about what happens when life happens. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, you're talking about in churches in general, right? And maybe even in our society. Like, what happens when? we make a bad decision because we're human we're going to fail we're going to make bad decisions we're going to be in places of vulnerability and things are going to happen and um just to be able to to really talk about that in our youth groups in our churches um you know to even to tell stories of people that kind of really messed up or really were in a deep depression and this is how they reached out. And because of them reaching out, then this is what happened. Mm-hmm. Because that starts to normalize it. Yeah. When people are able to talk about, yeah, I'm really struggling with depression right now. And you want to you know, be careful with you know, talking about that around safe people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think we're transparent enough with our struggles. I think that we say we're fine. How are you? I'm fine. Things are going really well. And, I mean, you also don't want to be that person who's like the Debbie Downer all the time. Right. But to know that that needs to be a part of our daily life. Like education, we send our kids to school because we know that they want to have an education. Mm -hmm. But do we train them to have the skills to reach out when they're broken, something's happened to them, or if they're struggling with something? Yeah. And that probably would have made a big difference in my life. Um, I was naturally a perfectionist, like born that way. So there was a lot of pride that came with that. And so it was just hard for me, regardless of anything else. But I do think that probably would have helped. If, if, if you're, you know, so I hear you saying, hey, youth workers, get, get some people up in front of the youth group to share their stories. Right. You know, obviously there are stories of Scripture. Our Bibles are filled with the stories of brokenness and the stories of God taking people that don't seem to measure up or don't seem to be much and using them in powerful ways. And, and you know, the New Testament is filled with stories of Jesus extending grace, mercy, and love to the least of these or to the greatest of the sinners or whatever. Um, and and yet maybe we, we, we don't, maybe we struggle at times to find physical here and now versions of those same stories to say hey this could be you with an eating disorder this could be you with depression this could be you dealing with a terrible decision and here here's a living color example of of someone that has found the forgiveness of Mm -hmm. god and is living on the other side and what and the redemption that can come out of that how god can take brokenness and make beauty out of it how he can take pain and make purpose out of it um, because naturally, I think in our human nature, we look at other people, we compare ourselves to them, but we're only able to compare what we see when we see them, what we hear. So we're not comparing ourselves to what it's like behind closed doors because we don't know what it's like right. behind closed doors. Right. So then this, it's like a perpetuation of um, we compare ourselves to other people, um, which kills our self-esteem, and then we feel like we have to be okay all the all the time. And yeah. so, like, what happens when life isn't okay? What do you do? Who do you reach out to? And really have people talk about that. That's good. 
and and uh, it's it's not hard at all to imagine how this all this and and reading the book you know the idea of forgiveness is such a big part of what you do now the work that you do with these children talk about how you're well i guess i guess we're still we need to hear your, how you got from from there sure. to 2008 where you're starting exile and yeah so um i really believe that when your level of desperateness is larger than your your level of embarrassment mm -hmm. that's when true healing can really yeah. happen and your pride is just killed and yeah. so that's where i was i was just at a point that i had to reach out because i was you were suicidal why why didn't you go through with that um i think because i didn't want the enemy to win i think i owe i feel like i'm in this battle of good and evil and darkness and light and we all are um but i but i think there was a part of me that just thought i'm not gonna let the enemy win and so and that's where the desperation came yeah, from. Yeah. To say I I don't care if I'm embarrassed. I'm going to I'm going to mm -hmm. reach out and yeah. I'm going to share. Because I think when someone becomes suicidal at least for me, they don't think life can get any better. They just think this is how it's going to be forever. And for me, if that I mean the depression was um suffocating. I mean that that's probably the best word I can use. It was it was um it dominated my thoughts it dominated it's like I couldn't shake it off um, and and what I later found out is that I was struggling with, with post-traumatic stress disorder hmm. and um, from so, the divorce from the marriage from divorce. the marriage from some traumatic things that happened the year following the marriage it was it was what kind of a slew of whammies okay. that happened yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah I think for me I just thought if this is how bad it's going to be forever then I can't be here but reality is that it can get better it's not it's usually when you're in that place of thinking it's going to be this bad forever it's really hard to get outside of your head and realize that this is a chapter this is a season um, so kind of fast forward I ended up in a treatment center in Dallas um, and I was there for six weeks was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. And it, it wasn't this aha pretty story of, hey, I go to a treatment center, I get some counseling, yeah. and I'm just fine. It was a fight for years of just trying to get my head above water and getting my stuff together and um, really living and learning and messing up and living yeah. and learning again. It, weeks in Dallas, months in Dallas, years? Six weeks. Six weeks, okay. Mm -hmm. And then and then you moved, did that, that sort of equipped you though to, to handle the ongoing struggles? I mean, did it, did that give you some practical stepping. ways to deal? Yeah, it was a big stepping stone. Um, and I came back knowing that I had to pour myself into groups and church yeah, and yeah. reaching out to help for help and counseling. Mm -hmm. And so it helped me to understand that this has, you know, different coping skills that I didn't have before. And, and ironically, it was on that, when I was in Dallas, so I'd sold my car to pay for treatment so in debt it wasn't funny like extremely in debt paid my i said sold my car to pay for treatment and so the last sunday that i was there i walked to the nearest church for worship and there was a man speaking and he had survived the rwandan genocide 
and you know my love for Africa. Oh yeah. wow! So I'd been praying for God to use my counseling skills because I'm a, I was you know a counselor, and my love for Africa, and somehow using this trauma that I'd gone through for good. And he started talking about that he had used his pain to start an organization that worked um, with forgiveness, reconciliation work, and trauma care in Africa. So I just started weeping in church, and I didn't know him from Adam, but I went up to him afterwards and I said, I have to talk to you. Uh, and, and my heart, you know, is always for children. And I said, what happens to the kids? And he said, there are not that many programs out there at all. They just get lost. Mm-hmm. Um, so he and I went to coffee the next day and we started talking about a trauma care program for children and what that would look like. But the focus of that organization isn't children. Yeah. Um, so fast forward two years, going through my own journey, through healing and reaching out, finding community. I'd never been authentic with community before, finding out what that looked like. Um, but fast forward two years from that time, I go to Congo for the first time with that organization. And that's where my heart was totally broken. Um, and then a that couple, was the trip that changed. That was the trip you. that changed me. And then weeks after I got back from that trip, I found an exile. Okay. So it was actually, and I say this a lot, but me reaching out for help led me into a yeah. war zone. Right. That's incredible. And it's so it's so cool to think about how God knew all of that. Mm-hmm. He knew that, but. But I wouldn't be as passionate as I am to help the kids who'd gone through so much of so much trauma in in war had I not known what a flashback was or known what um, a nightmare felt like. Yeah. So I knew for me, I needed somebody to believe in me at one point when I felt like no one believed in me, and I knew God believed in me, and that's yeah. what helped me <clears throat> hold on. And I wanted these kids to know someone believes in you. Yeah, we're not going to give up on you. So it was that pain that I experienced that really ignited the passion to found exile and to help the kids. And without the experience of the PTSD, even you know, it 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 would not have looked the same or or worked like it did, um, or happened the way it did. And hearing you talk after having read excerpts from your personal creed is really interesting because they different bits and pieces of your personal creed just seep up as you're talking about your life and who you want to be and who you are and what you want for the especially what you want for the children um a minute ago you said something about hope and it, and it reminded me of the harvesting hopes instead of expectations mm. um what i'm talking about if you of course if you're listening you can't see that i'm holding a book open um one of the things in the color of grace uh that bethany does is sort of share bits and pieces of a of a lot of a ever changing and evolving and growing or expanding creed that she has written that you began during your divorce i think mm-hmm. and then yeah. picked it back up sure. years later exactly um of course you can imagine how during your your the period of depression and pain and and you know suicidal contemplation you weren't writing bits and pieces of this creed you may not have even been coming back to it i don't know right. but it says in here I will harvest hopes rather than expectations, prayers in place of worries and requests instead of demands. And it just struck me the difference between hope and expectation mm-hmm. and how expectations can, can it's, they can be beautiful, but they can be so destructive. Mm-hmm. They can be so devastating when you, when you expect 
you know something to be one way and then it's different you can't you can almost it's almost impossible to see the blessing in it Mm -hmm. but when you're harvesting hopes when hope is the thing hope is just the language uh, and the the stuff of heaven and you're sitting in that church hearing him talk about the work in Rwanda and it's not an expectation that you're going to do the same it's a hope that God Mm -hmm. can do with you what he had done with him yeah so so beautiful and I think expectations just set you up for failure really because sometimes they can become an idol of I'm expecting a perfect marriage I'm expecting you know whatever that is I'm expecting to have a great job I'm expecting whatever you want and but what happens when that doesn't happen? So then are we all destined just to be depressed for the rest yeah. of our life? We can hope something, and then if it doesn't happen, we realize, you know, there's a humility that comes with that of life is really about serving God, loving God, loving other uh-huh. people, surrendering to Him. It's not about me getting what I want or having my expectations met. Bring glory to God and enjoy Him forever. Right. Um, you know, a church, you, you, you're talking about expectations. You expect, as someone growing up in a church, for your life to be, eventually, like you, like everybody else's life looks. Mm-hmm. And so then when it's not, you know, I think that's one of the reasons so many people just don't want to be a part of a church because, you know, we, it's what's real about the facade that we put on uh, or, or the mask that we wear. So... 2008 comes around and you found Exile International and then the next seven years are working on the ground in in the Congo and in Uganda and it's starting the Peace Lives Center. Is that the name of the center in both countries or just in the just Congo? Just in Congo. That's the name of the Rehabilitation Center in Congo. And and at this point, you're not married. No. So, so at some point, you... What tell us the story of you and Matthew? Yeah, so as this goes along, so Exile started. I was still in full time private practice counseling, um, trying to start this organization at the same time of trying to pay my bills and and have a full time practice, and um, really really thought this was going to be an organization that I would take counselors back and forth to Africa. We would yeah. do these art therapy trauma care workshops, and then we would come back and. The deeper I got into it, the more I realized these kids have nothing. They, Some of them were living in huts by themselves, taking care of their younger siblings. Um, some of the kids had been forced to kill their parents, so they were forced orphans. Um, they needed more than just a trauma care workshop, so we started to meet some of their physical needs yeah. and partner with local leaders on the ground. Um, and that's how the holistic rehabilitative yeah. care model started. Is that when you started thinking we need a place for them to live? Right. You know, it all happened organically. So the Peace Live Center started out of meeting Joseph and Didi, who are um, Congolese, great Congolese Christian men who had started taking in rescued child soldiers. And they were sleeping three to one twin bed in this little shack. And they were feeding themselves and cooking for themselves. And I was praying for God to lead me to local leaders who had the same vision, that rescued child soldiers could be peace leaders of their country. They had exactly the same vision. We would have conversations and complete each other's sentences. That is so, so, say it again, Ch- uh, child soldiers become peace leaders mm-hmm. in their country. Right. Because we believe that's how you change the fabric. It's such a ridiculous vision. But it ha- it's happening. I know. It's, it's happening. It's, it's so awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And then the same thing in Uganda. I was connected to this incredibly, incredibly passionate 
Ugandan lady, Jane, exactly the same vision. Um, that rescued child soldiers and rescued sex slaves can be peace ambassadors. And, and, it, and it's happening. It's amazing. So, so fast forward. Um, this is three years into exile being founded and started. And um, a mutual friend connected me and Matthew. And Matthew's story is a whole other story. He, um, parents divorced at four, had this... Um, had this setup where he would go to one, you know, mom's house one day, dad's house one day, mom's house one day, dad's house one day. Wasn't raised in the church, um, had an accident, pretty severe accident when he was a senior in high school, had to learn how to walk again. Lived with his grandparents, with his grandfather, started to disciple him, and that's when he became a Christian and just totally surrendered to the Lord in a hospital bed. Um, went on to Dallas Theological Seminary to study counseling and trauma care because he had started working in Indonesia with sex trafficking victims and um, different parts of the world working with children who'd been through trauma. And then he went to Uganda and he said, this is what I want to do. I want to work with rescued child soldiers and to do trauma work with them. And he, had he had not even met you yet? Had never met me before. <laughs> had never met me. So, so he starts so um, researching different organizations and a mutual friend, my best friend here in Nashville, knew him, connected us. He said he looked at our website and that was the mission statement for his life. So he came to, he was in Dallas, he came to Nashville, we started talking, and I had vowed that I was going to be a Protestant nun. I'm never getting married. Yeah. Well, um, you put a ring on your finger and said, God, I'm yeah, married to you. Absolutely. Yeah. You are my soulmate. I'm going to adopt African babies one day, and I don't want to have anything to do with marriage. <laughs> Um, I mean, the back of my mind, I was like, it would be so wonderful to find this yeah. spiritual partner, but I never really thought that would happen. Yeah, and and you you say in the book, you know, if that's God's will, you'll do it. But yeah. but the, but He had your heart, and right. and that that had been key to the whole process of you becoming who you are. You know, just loving Him and and finding your identity in Him, and not in a future mate, not not in a current dating situation, not in the way you look two guys, you know, any Absolutely. of that. It was God. Right. And so you had come to grips with that and were married to God, you know, when mm-hmm. he sent you an email or did he ask you on a date or did he call you? No. It was a blind, was it a blind date? No, it wasn't a date at all. It wasn't anything I mean, like the, a date. The first it was, time this guy it was, loved, wants to work there. Absolutely. This guy wants to work with children who'd survived wounded trauma work. So it was definitely a professional meeting. Yeah. Um, but we were leaving to go to Congo a, a month and a half later um, it was really dangerous, so we'd canceled the trip once, and then and then a lot of people bowed out. But I was like, I'm going. Yeah. I've got to go. Um, there was one other lady who was going to go with us, and I said, Hey, do you want to go on this trip? We really need someone. It'd be great to have a guy, because I'm over there going back and yeah. forth, you know, by yeah. myself, which isn't the safest thing ever. Um, and so fast forward, this lady ends up bowing out because she didn't, she couldn't raise the funds. So it was just Matthew and I <laughs> on the first trip to Congo with our partners on the ground. So it's not just us. Sure. We have, you know, five or seven Africans sure. who are just like family. Um, but in Congo, you have to be in at night at six o'clock because you can't be out when it's dark. Right. It's too dangerous. So we would just talk at night and got yeah. to know each other. And 
There was Surely a- somebody in your lives had said, you know, he's kind of cute. <laughs> or, you know, she, man, I, y'all could make a great couple. Had uh, Surely somebody had said that. It, that was in your head, yeah, right? Yeah, kind of. But I'm just you're like, a great match. Well, it's so perfect. The funny thing is that when we came back from that trip, there was clearly a connection. But we were both totally on the same path. Yeah. Nothing is getting in the way of this mission. Yeah, Nothing. That's great. So if if this gets in the way of helping the kids, then this is not going to happen. Yeah. Um, so for six months, we said we're not dating. We're not necessarily dating other people, just so we can get to know each other. Um, because it could either be a train wreck because we started working together, or mm-hmm. it could just be you know a beautiful love story. So um, so after six months, he moved to Nashville. We started dating very cautiously. Um, it took me a while to open my heart, you know, mm-hmm. back up again, and we dated for two years and then got married. So now we run the ministry together. Man, and and uh, the, I guess the first pictures I ever saw of the two of you on the ground were, were not in the book, which, by the way, the best thing in the book, I don't know, if it's, it's got to be the best thing, the living <laughs> color pictures of you and Matthew and others, and the, like you said, the rock stars that are on the ground in these places in the mm-hmm. Congo and then Uganda. It's just beautiful. There's, there's, you know, a little section of just glossy color photos. And my favorite, this is my favorite right there. Oh wow, yeah. Of you guys we dancing. We dance a lot. And you, it, the caption just talks about how uh, in Congo dancing is a requirement for a long life. And this is at one of the one dancing with uh, at a peace club, which is mm-hmm. I guess where he is right now in one of the village peace clubs. Um, and there's so much joy and so much love, uh, and and. You know, so the first time I saw pictures of you and Matthew together ministering were on the walls of our church. You had a display. Yeah. Our church in the lobby uh, tends to do periodically. We'll cycle through, you know, artwork of mission work that we have in Guatemala or, or wherever Mexico, um, or or adventure trips from you know youth group trek kinds of places. We're climbing mountains and seeing God's beauty. And you guys brought in a display that included pictures of the work you're doing and the places you're doing it. And I saw kids with homemade guns. Mm-hmm. And and they, I mean, it looked like they were angry. I mean, there was one picture. It looked like a guy had clearly knew how to play the part of a of yeah. a soldier. Yeah. And so, and, and which was, it's like, okay, a little confusing. And then I'm seeing artwork, drawings and things. Without you there to explain what was going on, I might have had a little trouble. So tell us about... Tell us about that picture with the sure, guns, yeah. and tell us about the the artwork, the napkins, or, or whatever you you call it. Yeah, the, handkerchiefs. Yeah, handkerchiefs. yeah. So um, we use a lot of art, dance, drama, and music in terms of rehabilitation work for the kids, which is just a language in Africa. You know, um, I started the the really months after Exile was founded. I started to do research: what's being done with rescued ch- child soldiers, what's working, what's not working, what's being done in Africa. The first thing I found out is that people are using art, dance, drama, and music for for healing purposes. Um, So part of what they do is they do dramas. That particular time, we were going to do some more art therapy, and they said, you know, we don't want to do, we don't want to draw today. We want to show you our story. We don't want to draw our story. I said, okay. The The children did? Yeah, totally on their own. I said, okay. So they go around this tent, because at that point, the center was basically one tent, and some shacks that they yeah. slept in. So they went around to the tent, um, behind the tent, and they had made guns themselves 
out of wood and corn shuck and just of course anything. they did they weren't operational no I mean, they were f- fake guns absolutely yeah they were props yeah um and they had tied their heads with turbans um somehow they got red paint and that was the blood uh-huh. um and some just had sticks kind of for guns so they reenacted their abduction um being shown how to use a gun being trained going out into the bush killing people being forced to kill being rescued and then coming back either home or to the center and there was one point and we have a film on our website there's actually a a a video of this because i had one of those old flip cameras Mm -hmm. and i'm trying to film it all um but yeah it was at one point i kind of felt like i was in the bush because they were just shooting all around me um and it really helped me to understand what, what it was like for them. I mean, not really what it was like for them, but... Were, were they doing it for you, or were they doing it for them? Kind of both. I think that they were doing it in terms of... A, they were doing a drama, because yeah. they wanted to show me their story. Yeah. And, and the work that we do is very story-oriented. Yeah. So we talk a lot about the more that you tell your story, the more God can heal your heart. And which I just stop right now. How applicable is that to us as youth pastors totally. for our own lives, right? And for the work that we do with young people, the more you tell your story, the more God, God can, can heal your heart. Heal your heart, right? And that, and they tell their story in different ways. So when they draw their story, um, we give them two handkerchiefs, and one handkerchief is for them to draw their hopes and their dreams. Their other one is to draw their heartache. Um, and we invite them to draw God in the middle of that, just to remind them that God was there in their of both. Dar- of both. Yeah. That He was there in their darkest hour. He was there also when you know they started to dream again, which was new for them. Mm-hmm. When we first started doing this, they didn't. They had a hard time with that because their mind is survival. You know, they thought they would die in captivity. They thought they would die in the bush. No, it's hard to dream when you're when you're constantly trying to survive. Exactly, but their heartaches. And we've done this in Sudan and Kenya and Haiti even, in, um, in Congo and Uganda, but in the war-torn areas, their heartaches are full of dead bodies, guns, burning huts, blood, blood yeah. a lot of blood. They, they, they were graphic yeah. drawings. Mm-hmm. Um, which are also in the book, so people can see that. Yeah, yeah, that's which right. It's really important. There are drawings, yeah. Yeah, but the, I mean, it just goes to show you that all of this is in their head, and they just really, really needed to get that out. Which is not that different than us whenever we have brokenness in our own lives. And we talk about this with the kids. It's like a snake bite. So when when you have a snake, when you have the bite of a snake, the venom stays in you. And unless you get that out, it can kill you. So we really encourage them to talk about what's going on inside because it can become just a cancer, our brokenness, if we don't share that with someone. so yeah, then they have an opportunity to take those drawings and talk about what their story is and a group of other kids who have experienced similar, um, really, atrocities and torture sometimes. So they realize I'm not alone. And then they can talk about God being in the middle of that, realizing that God actually didn't leave me mm-hmm. when that was happening. He was actually crying with me. I just am so proud of what y'all are doing and how God is using you in these places to do this work. It's so it's so amazing. I've I've never been to either of those countries, um, but I have I have been to Kenya and I've seen Made in the Streets, and so I have some idea of what it looks like for a, 
a street kid with no hope to now have a home in a place where they are loved by God and shown by people who have given their lives to mm-hmm. Jesus what it looks like to trust in Him. So uh, just such a beautiful uh, picture. And I know you're, you're, you're going to have to leave very soon. So I, I, I have two more questions, really, and then, and then we'll finish up. And the first one is, how, how do you... Um, how do you keep the current you from harvesting expectations or from from letting people put you on a pedestal? You know, you're. you're mm. I mean, that, that's that's just got to be a a, a reality yeah. that you're aware of. You know, what do you do to, to to stay grounded in the you that you found during your days of healing and and to 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 ward off you know any any kind of return to prideful self or yeah. to putting on a mask or making sure or hoping or needing people to think certain things about you mm-hmm. that's a great question um and that was my biggest fear with writing the book i thought i don't want to go through this again i don't want people to put me on a pedestal because in reality i feel like if anybody were to be able to see what I've seen with my eyes, they would do similar work. So I don't feel like I'm special. I don't feel like I'm awesome at all. I feel like I'm just a broken woman who's giving back what she's been given in Mm -hmm. a way. Um, But yeah, that was a big fear in writing the book. But I just always try to gear it back to God. You know, this is his story of redemption. This is not my story at all. Even with our kids. You know, they're going back in their villages and they're teaching villagers about reconciliation and forgiveness because of what they've been given, and that's really God's story. Um, but I'm pretty committed to being transparent now, um, really kind of a 180 from where I used to be. So um, I'm really transparent with struggles that I have. If, um, I have a core group of, of girls, and I am real with them, and we check in with each other, and and that's not natural for me. Like right. you having talk about that, how that's unnatural, right? Yeah. Like doing the natural it, you is a you. You're alone. Yeah. You're gonna do it Absolutely. on your own. Absolutely. You yeah. don't need others. Yeah. Exactly. So I have to really be intentional. And Matthew's awesome with that because he's so community focused. Yeah. I mean, he's really big on being real and he loves community loves his guy group yeah. and so he's a great model that's for so that. interesting your story and his you could see how he would ha- sort of naturally rely on others his trauma was something he couldn't control that you you don't have shame over an accident you know mm-hmm. you and and yours was hidden and nobody saw it and, you know it's it, his parents divorced at an early age and you were the daughter of a preacher mm-hmm. you were the pk as mm-hmm. they say so that's really interesting that that came naturally for him. He's good at it and oh, helps you with he's it. He's great at it. Yeah. yeah. And so he really encourages me. And he keeps me accountable. We call each other out when we need to. When good. I first met him before we started dating, when we just, you know, were friends, I said, no one calls me out. You call me out. Will you promise you will always do that? And he's like, yeah, I will. So it helps us. That's great. Yeah, and it helps us stay grounded. I love I love thinking about in your vows at your wedding for him. You know, I, I promise I'll still call yeah. you out, <laughs> even though we're now yeah. married. And, yeah. Okay, that's great. My final question is just, do you have, you know, it, it, youth ministers are the ones listening to this podcast, so what would you say to us? I mean, do you have a challenge or a blessing uh, that you would say to youth pastors? Well, I think from being in a position of, 
being in a position of leadership and being broken and being in a position of leadership and really trying to be intentionally healthy, my encouragement would be to be vulnerable and real with maybe two or three people because we can't give out what we don't have. We can't pour out into other people if we're not filled up. If we start to pour out and we're not filled up, then we're doing that from a place of dryness and it can become trauma, honestly. Um, And youth ministers blow me away. I see you, you're always energetic, you're just like (laughs) going 90 miles an hour. And I told Matthew the other day, we were talking in the hall at church and I said, he is one of the busiest and most present people when you're having a conversation well, that's with him. a great compliment. Yeah. But, Thank you but for you, saying that. You're welcome. We really mean that. But, um, but yeah, youth ministers is just constantly pouring out and you're getting messages from teens all the time and parents. And if you're not really filled yeah. up, then, wow, that's a dry yeah. place. And, and the natural reaction to fake it comes in mm-hmm. instead yeah. of being, whoa, guys, I got to have a break here. Um, so that's my encouragement. Yeah, we can't. It's how sad for our groups if we start to fake it. So that is a great word for us and a great word for me. Thank you very much. Yeah. It has been a blessing to have you here. Uh, I know that everyone listening is going to be praying for Bethany Haley Williams and Matthew Williams in your marriage, in your life, and in the ministry that you do. I'm going to start our music uh, at the very end here, and we've got about 30 seconds left. And with that, I'm going to say thank you and blessings in Jesus' name and give you a hug. Thank you. So, <laughs> thank, thank you, you for, for my hug. And for the and for finally making the pie for Oh, we did it. We did it. I know. We did it. And maybe someday, Matthew, could be present for a real one. Oh, that'd be great. Um, but it was awesome that he got to call in, too. And you have been a blessing to us today. Thank you. You as well. Thanks, Thanks so Matthew. much for having me. And we'll see you next time on the Digital Side Hug.